Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into the latest episode of Lethal Podcast. In this episode, we sat down with Joe Griffin. Joe is a buddy of ours that uh, does a lot of hunting out west, and he's pretty up to date on a lot of stuff uh, that's happening out there as far as uh, conservation goes. Joe sat down with us to talk about uh, SB143 uh, coming out of Montana. Uh, he kind of gut checked everybody on social media and said, hey, if you've got a platform to talk about this, you should do it. So I took Joe up on his on his challenge and, and had him on to talk about it. And it was a really good discussion over the implications of what SB 143 could end up being. So uh, I hope you guys listen to this one. It is a little off the beaten path for what we normally talk about, but I do think it is important. As always, this episode is fueled by Hunter's Blend Coffee. Go to huntersblendcoffee.com and use ABF, all caps, ABF, and 10% of your purchase will be donated to the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. So all caps, ABF, 10% of your purchase will be donated to the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation, and you know we love those guys over there. So, uh, I will not belabor this anymore. You guys can enjoy this episode. There's a lot, a lot of links in the uh, show notes for stuff that you can go check out. Uh, as far as, like, senators you can contact, uh, the actual bill itself, you can go look at all that there. So, thank you everyone for listening, and without further ado, here's Joe Griffin. Enjoy. Go, go! nothing to do with, with anything. But I find, so last week, uh, it was myself, Garrett, Rob, and Bill Vanderheiden, uh, four people who don't live in the same state, and all four of us were are, are, are big Packers fans. And now we have three guys in the, that, you know, kind of live and their main hobby is in the hunting industry uh, that are recording a podcast together and all three, all three of us have found uh, or had found and probably still do to an extent a home in the like metal and hardcore scene. And that's like that's a super weird thing for for the outdoor like industry guys, because this is not the most typical music that people people listen to. Uh, I just found that or I, I know, Joe, I see you, you posting stuff when when new new stuff drops that that you and I both listen to and I know, you know I've known Garrett for years and I know he kind of listens to the same thing so I just found it really interesting that once again we have <laughs> we have three people here and from completely different walks of life who uh who have a a unique common interest uh that really makes no sense at all that's funny that you mentioned that I honestly I I remembered talking to you kind of back and forth. It seems like we always bring up knocked loose, which is one of my favorites. And I forgot that you guys were the ones that were <laughs> oh, yeah. into that same music until you mentioned that. So now I'm super excited to talk to you guys. <laughs> that's yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at, um, Huntwise posted a Instagram story from a Turkey hunt last year. And it was like, I had the worst shiner from, a knocked loose. Uh, who else is in that show? <laughs> knocked loose fit for a king. Crystal Lake. It was just a brutal one, and I had this terrible shiner before. There you go. Dude, oh my god, is what it is. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome, man. I haven't fit for a king's been around for a while. Uh, I remember seeing them when I was when I was pretty pretty young. Did you? So did you get started in the and that. Uh, this and this is this is just the status quo for our podcast. We talk about stuff that has nothing to do with what we're, our our main our main topic <laughs> is. Um, but did did you get started in the like hardcore scene? Because Knocked Loose is definitely has more like hardcore roots than it does metal. 
uh, uh, and I know at least in Kansas City, the hardcore scene and the metal scene were very, very different. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say probably the the first, I guess, scene that I kind of got into was in Grand Rapids. We had this little venue called Skeletones, and I started going there when I was like 14, 15, well before I probably should have been. And <laughs> it was a lot of like... Mm-hmm. Dance Gavin Dance and Devil Wears Prada and stuff like that. Kind of some lighter yeah. elements yeah. to it. Yeah. And then. Uh, yeah. Some like progressive emo kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, we all had that middle school phase where we were in the, the emo bands, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll say that. Grand that's, Rapids. That's where I. That's, those are my roots. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But Grand, Grand Rapids blew up <laughs> with kind of a an underground hardcore metal metalcore, and now even kind of a deathcore scene now, which has been pretty cool. So obviously nothing's happening now with COVID. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, that, that's cool. The deathcore is kind of exploding uh, out there. We have like no good deathcore, at least out here on, on my side of the Midwest. Uh, the, I, I got, I got pulled into the metal scene when like the, the whole like Christian core metalcore kind of thing was, was happening with like, for today, Texas in July, uh, Devil Wears Prada, As I Dying, like all all those bands, and uh, uh, and I was like, oh man, like this is this is awesome, and uh, uh, I you know I, I I had been playing drums for a little bit, and and then you know I wanted stuff that would progressively push me, and I found As I Dying, and I was like, oh okay, this is this That'll is fun, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, that that would do it. Yeah, Jordan Mancino is a big influence on me, and uh, and then uh, yeah, I just got got into more progressively hard stuff. It's it's kind of funny. I won't tell the whole story, but uh, uh, may, maybe I'll tease it for another episode, and I'll tell you I'll tell you after we're done recording. But uh, I joined the army on accident uh, because <laughs> of a, uh, a show that I went to uh, for uh, it was for today. Uh, a plea for purging my children, my bride, and I want to say sleeping giant was at that show too. It was, a, it was an insane, insane show at a tiny venue, tiny, tiny venue. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, I ended up, <laughs> I went and took the test for the military to skip my calculus test because I went to the show the night before and didn't study. So, uh, yeah, there's there's more to there's more to that story. But, uh, yeah, so those bands are the whole reason I joined joined the army and spent eight years of my life there. It's a fun time. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that forever. Who's that? My child, my bride. I saw them with oh. Oh, Phineas and uh, who else is on that card? Gideon, too. That was a sick show. Oh, oh, dude, Gideon is so I, I listen to Gideon like like they dropped an album yesterday. I yeah. love Gideon They're Oh, I, I'm, I'm into Gideon. OK, we're we're getting too far off the beaten path. Here. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're we're hanging out with Joe Griffin tonight. Uh, um, Joe uh, made a Facebook post uh, that that kind of brought something to my attention. I wanted to put our next episode uh, on hold for a minute to to talk to talk to Joe about this issue and to kind of bring this to light because uh, uh, Joe kind of made a post uh, kind of checking people's ego. And I really appreciated it that, you know, if you had any type of platform, I probably need to bring some light to this issue. Uh, uh, this is about SB 143. I think that stands for Senate Bill 143 that has to do in Montana. 
Um, I know a little bit about it, uh, but I don't know a ton about it. So, um, uh, Joe, I know you hunt out West quite a bit every year. Garrett is, is obviously from Oregon. Our, our listeners know that. Uh, so I, I think you guys definitely have a better handle on, uh, on, on what the impacts of this are. So I'll, I'll let you two kind of, kind of lead the charge on this. And I'll probably be asking like stupid Easterner questions, uh, um, throughout the episode for stuff that I don't know or don't understand. So that'll, that'll be my role for this episode. Um, but yeah, uh, Joe, I mean, I guess give us a little background. Cause I know you're, you said you're from, you're from Michigan. I think you still live there. Uh, and, but you, you hunt out West quite a bit. And I think that has a little bit to do with, with your job and, and you just being able, you being a, a diehard hunter and wanting to travel out West. So kind of, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then, then we can kind of lean into how this bill w- is going to impact you and, and other people who, who travel out West. Sure. Um, I'm Joe Griffin. I'm 29 years old, father of a five-year-old, almost six-year-old. Dude, uh, that kid, by the way, it, freaking something. That kid, <laughs> that, that kid, he's, he's killed a shit more animals than I had the last couple of years. I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, that dude's a straight, straight murderer. You should be, yeah, man, gee, many Christmas. You should be proud of that kid. Congrats, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm super proud of him. I'm extremely lucky to have him. Um, yeah, he's, he's actually coming elk hunting this year in Wyoming. So, um, nice. so yeah, I'm 29. I'm from West Michigan. Um, I came from a, a non-hunting family. Actually, my mom was a member of PETA. My dad was just kind of into business, neither one of them into hunting. That's a whole separate story from this. But um, got into hunting when I was 12, 13 years old. And that's when we legally could in Michigan. And really got into whitetail and waterfowl. And then... Um, around 2016, I'll say, um, I got into the kind of the Western stuff. I went out to Colorado for the first time elk hunting out there. And then every year since then, I've just fallen in love with elk hunting and hunting in the West and more of that kind of, um, backpack adventure style hunt really trips my trigger. Like, I mean, I like to do everything. I hunt a lot of whitetail, hunt mule deer, hunt elk, hunt waterfall, hunt bear, whatever I can hunt. I try to hunt it. Um, this year we're doing Alaska sure. and a few other things, but yeah, that in a, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got into the Western stuff. Um, I work for a company called elite outdoors. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, what unit did you end up drawing? I, I saw you were, had, did they post that yet? Yeah, they did. So I actually put in for, um, you, you get six points up, up to six points a year you can buy in Alaska, um, for like 15 bucks a piece after you buy your license. And usually guys will spread that out between like they'll throw two at a, a doll sheep hunt. That'll be hard to get. And then two at a caribou and two at a bear or something like that. And I just threw all six points at that. I think it's CR 590 and CR 475. So basically the Denali range, which that is, uh, up until last year, only residents could really hunt those units in thir- like upper thirteens. I didn't draw that tag. Um, I got a tag mm-hmm. for uh, 26B, I think. It's basically just over the counter, but we're going to go up through the Arctic Gateway and hunt way up there in the tundra by the Arctic Ocean. So we're pretty excited about that. So nice. I say we, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. So who'd you say you, you work for? 
uh, elite outdoor sports. Um, they're based out of, uh, kind of the Teton area of Wyoming. Um, I represent a couple of different hunting companies nice. and my dirt. So basically any, any state that touches a great lake system and Kentucky, um, Steiner optics, Kdex defense, Rocky mountain hunting calls. I've got a list of guys that I work with, um, that I basically represent on the sales and marketing oh, side. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, that's a couple recognizable brands there for sure. Yeah. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. Um, but my life has basically just kind of gotten consumed with hunting and in my like early twenties and late teens, it was kind of more of a, a selfish reason, I guess a lot of like, see how many big piles of ducks I could kill and stuff like that. And my, my directions kind of changed a little bit after I had chase and then can start seeing hunting as a, a bigger picture for me and what it's done for me in my life. So I'm trying to get as many mm-hmm. people to experience hunting as possible. And when I see bills come through like this, it, it's a big red flag to me and it, it, it scares the shit out of me before honest with you. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about this bill. Uh, I know, I know it's Montana and I know it has to do with tags and that's, that's about all I know. Right. So Senate bill 143, um, it was proposed by Jason Ellsworth, who's a state senator out of Hamilton, Montana, on January 25, I believe. Um, basically, and this is kind of a moving target. They keep amending this bill and changing it. And there's a lot of these little side conversations going on that don't get published until three four days after they happen, unless you know someone that's at one of these meetings. So I'm constantly pestering mm-hmm. people that I know in Montana who kind of have a a finger on the pulse with this, but long story short, what they were trying to do was guarantee 60% of non-resident deer and elk tags, um, to an outfitter or two outfitters in general, um, to kind of put this in a perspective, I guess, um, Montana gives out 17,000 non-resident tags every year to, um, the general Mm -hmm. public and basically going back like three years ago, there was a surplus of these tags at the end of drawing season, I guess you could call it. So if you didn't draw in Utah, you didn't draw in Arizona, you didn't get one in New Mexico, there was a chance that you could still pick up a non-resident tag in Montana. Up until two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, now these tags are selling out. Two years ago, I think it was, there was 24,000 applicants for 17,000 tags. Last year there was like twenty six thousand for seventeen thousand tags, so they're they're a little bit mm-hmm. higher demand now. There's more people going out west to hunt. I don't I don't know if you're noticing the same thing, Garrett, in Utah. Sure. Or I'm, I'm sorry, where are you from? Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Same things happening here. Yeah. So it's just it's becoming more popular, and I, I guess that's a double edged sword. I think it's good overall for hunting, but. Um, the, the thing that Montana kind of always offered the non-resident hunter was you have a long season, you have somewhere between 120 and 130 general units. You can hunt all of archery season and all the firearm season. So from September, September 6th or whatever that first Saturday falls on until the end of November, beginning of December, you can elk hunt. Wow. So, so that, so that one tag, that one tag got you all like, it was good for all those seasons. 
You got it. Yeah. So for, and it's an expensive tag. It's a, a thousand sixty-eight plus a hundred dollar archery stamp or whatever, but that gives you a, a mule deer and an elk tag. And it's good for the vast majority of Western Montana. And I've had years where I went and hunted during the archery season and missed a bull or screwed something up and had to go back during gun season and finish it off. And it's a great tag and it's, it's a great opportunity state. And that's exactly what it is. It's an opportunity state. A lot of those regions, it's, Mm -hmm. there's going to be pressure. There's going to be other guys there, but there's a decent amount of elk. And if you're willing to put in the work, you can usually get on them. So that, that's kind of, I guess, a background of my, yeah yeah so uh and once again i plead ignorance being a a dumb easterner uh i don't think that tags like that are very common at least tags where you can you can buy it for i mean at least everything i've seen you buy a tag for archery elk or uh first season gun or second season gun like there's very rarely at least that i have seen a tag out west where it's good for the whole season, regardless of the method to take. Is there is is that accurate, or is there other states that are like that? And if there are, and you don't want to say, I guess that's that's also acceptable <laughs> to, oh, to keep that under your vest. It's it's cool. There's, I mean, most of this information's readily available, and most guys know this stuff by now. But um, Wyoming is similar in some aspects. Um, they they've got mm-hmm. kind of a weird caveat where, as a non-resident, you can't hunt wilderness areas you can hunt blm you can hunt state you can hunt federal all that kind of stuff you just can't hunt wilderness so a lot of the general Mm -hmm. units in wyoming consist of a a decent amount of wilderness so it's a little bit tougher um but their general tag is structured like that as well and a lot of their draw tags are too so if you don't get it done in archery season you can go back during firearm but wyoming's a tougher state yeah that Wyoming rule for the wilderness being shut off to non-residents was pushed through by outfitters too, wasn't it? You know, I don't know that it was initially pushed through by outfitters. It's definitely being sponsored by outfitters now. Um, I actually called uh, <laughs> representatives there last year because I got fired up about that too. It, and this, this I think is worse than that, honestly, but um, their reasoning was that they were sick of, getting search and rescue calls from non-residents in the wilderness, which when that bill was put through mm-hmm. the, the mapping apps weren't a thing that no one's getting that lost anymore. You know what I mean? It's right. Yeah. It's that, a, and I mean, yeah. now like, yeah, like right now you can go hike the wilderness and it's like, you don't have to be a resident or anything. You don't have to have a guide with you to go hike in the wilderness, but you can't take a weapon and go hunting which makes absolutely no sense. If they're actually worried about people getting lost, then you wouldn't be able to go hiking there as a non-resident either. Right. Yeah, it's frustrating. There's, hmm. a, there's a few little nuances like that with states that have some some laws that don't make sense, like Nevada being a landowner, you can sell a landowner tag to a guy and hunt public land. That doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> huh. That's weird. I man, I I feel like I read something else about a another state setting up something like that more recently. Maybe it was Nevada. Uh, did did another Western state just do something like that? Because it was you could sell your landowner tag to 
an outfitter, I think is what I was reading. Is that in this 143 or is that some, am I thinking of something completely different? So another one that just came through that's actually probably a lot closer to you is uh, Kansas has proposed something that. Ah, that's who that's who it was. Yes. Yeah, it's very similar. Anyone with 80 acres in Kansas, and I'm not as up to snuff on this one just because it, I, I've mm-hmm. never run it for whitetail but um it pissed me off enough that i shared it but that's a uh, house bill 2331 um would basically allow anyone with 80 acres to transfer tags and be sold to the highest bidder at the expense of downright or at the expense of resident hunters so anyone that's got 80 acres now that, hmm. that say your your cousin's buddy who's let you hunt for years on his 80 or whatever I mean, that's, it's worth a lot more now. He can, he can transfer that tag and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just feels like another aspect that kind of monopolizes hunting a little bit and it's frustrating. Yeah, no, I, oh, I totally get that. And I think that's, that's kind of the, uh, and maybe I'm reading a, a bit too much into this, but I feel like that's the big issue with, uh, SB 143 is it kind of puts up a, like a cost barrier. If you're an out of state guy, it's if this ends up going through, it sounds like unless you like hire an outfitter, your chances, of which is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're too expensive. I'm not saying anything like that because we've got friends that are outfitters and I mean, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with using an outfitter and there's nothing wrong with what outfitters charge because they get booked up every year. So people must be happy to pay it. But uh, it seems like that would create quite the cost barrier for it, 95% of the general public to be able to go and, and hunt in Montana. It absolutely, I mean, it, it does. And I want to preface this with, I am 100% not against outfitters. Like you said, they're, they're a huge part of Montana's right. economy. Um, I, I know some of them personally and I respect the hell out of them. I envy them. Like to be able to spend that much time in the woods and during hunting season, I, I envy the hell out of them. Um, but yes, Mm -hmm. especially the way that they're, they're proposing this bill, it, it, it just flat doesn't make sense to me. And some of the, the excerpts that I've seen from outfitters that have gone to this February 2nd hearing, a lot of them just flat don't make sense to me either from kind of either side of the spectrum. Um, like you said, it seems like they're booked up every year. Everyone that I talk to, it seems like they're booked up every year. A friend of mine has taken his father out to Montana, hopefully this year. And he's been talking with outfitters and they said that you better book quick because they're going to book up soon and this and that. It's just, it's one of those things that I'm glad that they're there. They're, they're a resource that should be utilized. It's just like selling your house to me. I think someone should have every opportunity to sell their house by themselves, but if they want to up their odds, hire a realtor, get, get yourself in front of more buyers, have someone that's been down this road before help you out. It's a tool that should be there. That's available for everyone to use. Should they choose to use it? I don't think it should be forced on us. So the way that it's it's set up right now is 60% of these tags would go to outfitters first. They could buy what they wanted of that 60%. So call it 8,500 tags. They'll buy it all. <laughs> They'll buy it all. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? 
I would too if I was an outfitter. Yeah. Whether you're for yeah. or against it, why? I mean, it's silly. So there was enough of a yeah uprising about this that they amended it already, and they said I mean it's probably been amended this morning, and I just haven't heard about it yet. It seems like this thing is like I said a moving target. Um, now they want to do it's evolving every day. Yeah, it is. Yeah, now they want to take fifty percent of these tags, move that drawing up to December 1st to December 31st, you pay an extra $300 to be a part of that drawing. So this $1,100 tag is now $1,400. It's now way more expensive than mm. the, its next neighbor. Like Wyoming, I think is the second most expensive. It's twice the price of that now. So it's just Jeez. one of those things that, and if you don't draw, in that drawing, then you get thrown into the pool with the outfitters at the end of it, whatever they don't buy, you're scrounging for that 22% at the end of it. It's just for the, it's, it's going to kill DIY hunting in Montana. In my opinion, the guy, the outfitters could potentially benefit, yeah. benefit from it. And I don't know, maybe even, even guys that go there and hunt private land, same thing in Kansas. If you had a good relationship with a rancher and he's let you hunt for all these years, well, now outfitters are a little bit more motivated to maybe lease up some ground if they can guarantee all these tags. And not only that, now that they have a control of this percentage of tags yeah, that's, where that's people have to say, use them if like, they want to hunt in Montana, it, yes, it a $6,500 elk hunt could cost 10 grand next year. You know what I mean? You know, residents don't care yeah, for non-residents yeah. coming in and hunting or whatever, but it's also going to affect a, like eventually if not, you know, sooner rather than later, it's going to going to affect the residents too, because like you said, you know, people do get permission to hunt private land there. And if the outfitters have 60% of the tags to fill and they're always, they're going to buy them because, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I would. They're going to need to lease more land to be able to fill all those tags. And like, yeah, the place that you've, you know, you maybe have been on a good relationship for, however many years is going to get leased up by an outfitter because they have the cash to, you know, lease it out from under you. And then, yeah, you're going to show up and, or you'll just get the phone call of, Hey, so my land's leased now. And I, it's leased for the next 10 years. Right. And yeah. Yeah. You, Cause that's the thing. They, they won't, they won't buy it for a year. Oh, they're no. going to, they're going to, they're going to have you sign a lease for five, 10, 15 years. Yeah. If, if they know the elk are there. Mm-hmm. Right. It just like to and, me, it just I I hate this kind of stuff because it's turning hunting into an elitist thing, and that's not what it is supposed to be. That's not what it should be. That's right. I I agree with you a hundred percent, man. It's it's in a day and age where it seems like what we love so much is being challenged by anti hunters and cancel culture and stuff like that, making hunting less available to the general public. In my opinion, just flat isn't the answer. It's, it seems extremely counterproductive and to basically, to your point, make it more of an elitist sport than it already is. We are 100% shooting ourselves in the foot. Oh yeah. Eventually like going down that road in the U S at least like would be, it'll eventually be the end of hunting because it's going to be, I mean, the end of hunting for the average guy, because it's going to turn into just rich people are going to be the only ones that can afford it. It's like hunting in Europe. Like, yeah, you can do it, but the amount of money you have to spend to be able to get 
weapons and tags and permission and everything to yeah. pay for outfitters. Like you can't afford it. Yeah. Um, stupid Easterner question. Uh, and maybe, maybe this holds zero weight, but, uh, in my lizard brain, it does. Um, I would assume that outfitters have a much higher success than a typical DIY guy, right? Uh, so is there any possibility? Let's say that this does get ramrodded through because that's a, that's a whole other thing I want to talk about here in a minute. But uh, if this does get ramrodded through and you take uh, those roughly, I'm going to use like 8,000 ish tags that had like a 10% success rate. I think that's the, I think that's the going success rate for elk out West is like roughly 10%. And you give it to outfitters who may have, I don't know, a 30, 40, 50% success rate uh, with their clients. I see a large, a large uptick in uh, harvest numbers, which I think is probably not going to be the best for the state's overall numbers. Am I completely off base in assuming that? Because I, I feel like that that may end up hurting the herd. No, I think you're actually hit the nail on the head with that. And th- there's always a fine balance, but you, you can say this about even the gear that's used, whether it's um, mm-hmm. crossbows and stuff like that. If the you always have to kind of have a balance between if gear and access and whatever else is pushing pushing the success rate high enough that tag allocation becomes an issue because of it, that that's a whole different spectrum of balance that you have to kind of manage and figure out. And this will definitely play into that, um, wh- whether it goes up to 15 or 20%, whatever the success rate ends up being, it's something that they're going to have to reevaluate and X amount of years and say, okay, well, we've had, yeah, we've had more animals killed, not brought more money in from it, but we've sold the same amount of tags and killed 5% more animals. This year, we can only issue 13,000 tags because of it. Right. Right. That's the thing that I see, like, at least with Oregon, like they seem to be purely money motivated. So like here they're talking like last year, the, they started talking about making Eastern Oregon a draw for elk for archery, which right now it's all over the counter, uh, which is nice because you can hunt the whole state. And as long as it like, there are some restricted units or whatever, but as long as it's open to hunt, like you have every ability to go wherever you want in one of those units to hunt, but they're talking about making it a draw, which to, but they're making it to where like, at least at first, like it'll be a hundred percent draw weight, which or draw odds. So to you know, people like me, it's like, oh, you just want our, you just want more eight dollar application fees. Okay, great, got it. Mm-hmm. But like, as far as the money standpoint in Montana for this goes, like, sure, a ton of money will be flooded into outfitters, which you know, good for them, make your money. But they're not getting those out of state fees, I guess I wouldn't think because if, yeah. if they're selling the tags to the, the residents or outfitters or whatever, I don't, I wouldn't expect them to be paying the non-resident prices for those tags. It's about 50 bucks, 50 to 80 bucks, I think is what residents pay. Um, 
So that, yeah, geez, that's where the stark difference. Well, so that's where that three hundred dollar application fee is going to come in. That's where they're trying to make their money back, I guess. Possibly, yeah. I I still don't. There, there's a an excerpt of an article that I read that one of the outfitters argued that a non-resident only spends four to six hundred dollars in Montana when he hunts there, as opposed to a guided hunter spends thirty five hundred dollars outside of outfitting fees, mm. which I can't fathom how either mm. one of those things are true, but. <laughs> well, isn't the uh, tag more than that? I think they're talking outside the tag. I guess I could see. I mean, yeah, if you're paying room and board or whatever, but even that is like, I don't even know what an elk, an outfitted out elk hunt cost in Montana, but around here they're like, Seven to ten grand. Yeah, say so I was going to guess around ten. Seems to be the going rate. It seems like if you go, um, I, I've done a little bit of research on this, and last year it seems like a lot of the guys that were going in on horseback for spike camps and stuff like that were somewhere in that sixty-five to eighty-five range. Yeah, um, during gun season, mm. and then if you were looking at hunting a ranch, it was somewhere between that. I mean, some of these guys are getting a crazy amount of money if they have a really good ranch but somewhere in that 12 10 to 12 range probably would be my guess i could see i mean so, like yeah you know if you even want to have like you can pay for a spike camp which is you know unguided but you still have to go through an outfitter or whatever to do it but those prices are going to go up because they can right and yeah it just makes it more expensive for like to me, for no reason other than greed is the only thing I can see. So is this, uh, uh, Joe, who did you say that this was introduced by? Which uh, which state senator? Jason Ellsworth. And he goes on to say that 40% of non, and this is a rough number he's claiming, but 40% of non-resident hunters hunting in Montana are using an outfitter already. So that's, I mean, that's a ton hmm. of hunters. So this, when he says stuff yeah. like that, I kind of feel like this is a mute point. Um, Jody McDonald, who's a an outfitter outside of Bozeman, um, she said that finding out who our hunters are in April isn't a good way to do business because then they have such a short time frame to figure out who they can take and who they can't take and they have to overbook. Well, then move this whole application thing up to January 1st but don't mess with our tags. Right. Fine with that. Right. To get a tag in Montana, you'd still have to put in for a draw, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So they already have a draw. So it's, it's, that's similar to Wyoming. I think you still have to put in there too, but so they don't even like, I guess they kind of have over the tag over the counter tags, but they really don't. Cause you still have to put in for a draw. Right. They had kind of an over the counter feel for a lot of years, just because there was always some leftovers. And that hasn't been the case in the last three years. So um, they, they've they met their quota during the draw every year. Um, it's kind of like where we hunted a few years ago in Wyoming. We used to uh, pick up cow tags that were left over for a, a cheaper rate. And the last couple of years, those have been going quicker too. So it's just there. there's more people getting into the Western hunting. And I think that's great. And I, we, we need that right now. Like I said, we're 
constantly under attack. And I don't know if it's just because I'm looking for it more, but it seems like there's more bills and crap coming our way that makes it harder for us every year, whether it's the, the bear hunting thing in California, trapping coyotes in New Mexico. I mean, really? <laughs> trapping coyotes in New Mexico. They're trying to ban trapping coyotes in New Mexico? Correct. Yeah, they've got quite a bit of steam behind it, too. Oh I don't know where that ended up, but yeah, it's it's one thing after another. And you look at a lot of these organizations, and they're pretty black and white about it. They say we're going to start with low-hanging fruit, the things that maybe, yeah. maybe there's less hunters involved in, whether that's predator hunting with dogs or trapping or things that are a little bit more grim for the average person to watch. We'll start with them, and by the time we're done, we'll be taking away deer hunting. It's it's a slippery slope. I don't understand why, like, you know, they tell us what they're going to do. And we're like, no, no, this is fine. We don't, we don't need to do this. And by we, I mean like the, you know, the weekend warrior guys that barely hunt anyway, but it's just like, oh, we, we can, you know, that's fine. I, I don't even do that. Why do I need to worry about that? Right. Hmm. And not to make this a, like a political rant, but I feel like I was, I was chastised enough for saying some for calling calling this out when some stuff was getting ramrodded through in some other states a couple years ago. But Jason Ellsworth, who who is pushing this through, uh, is a Republican. And I'm not I'm not saying that to bag on the Republican Party, but I'm saying that because the overwhelming majority of uh, of outdoorsmen identify with the Republican Party, which is fine. Dandy, I don't give a, I don't give a shit who you vote for or who you like. But I think a lot of outdoorsmen put way too much faith into these these, uh, you know, into their politicians that just happen to have an R next to their name. And man, I think if it really comes down to it, it's as if they're if their pockets are getting lined. And I'm not saying that Jason Ellsworth pockets are, but I don't I don't, I don't trust any politician with uh, uh, with land issues. Uh, I haven't I haven't found one that uh, at least yet that uh, has has lined up with with how I would one thing's a hundred percent of the time. Uh, so I guess approach with caution on that for uh, moving forward for uh, any politician that anyone is voting for, uh, for land issues. I wouldn't, wouldn't just vote for them because they've got an R right next to their name. Um, You're absolutely uh, right on that, man. It's uh, and just, I mean, I, I don't really care if people know what, I, how I feel about politics or whatever. So I'm, I'm typically very, right-wing leaning, maybe even libertarian kind of thing. Just leave people the hell alone kind of atmosphere, I guess. But if you look at this, yeah, bill, yeah. you're, you're, you were surrounded by like-minded people here. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, even if I wasn't, I'm still going to say it. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the guys that you see fighting this, frankly, um, there was a, a couple senators, some great falls that really didn't, have anything good to say about it. And a lot of them were Democrats. And to be honest with you, and I don't know how you guys feel about this. Edit this out if you please. I don't, I don't really care what people think. But um, for a couple of years, I was a member of the the BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And they mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. doing some stuff that I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, the whole wolf thing in Colorado, them being quiet about right. um, other predator issues. And then on top of that, like, who they take their money from. I wasn't a big fan of them to be frank. And it just seems like it was just pint night after pint night. And I don't know, but to their credit, yep. they've been extremely vocal about this. They've been extremely vocal about 
bears in Canada, they've been extremely vocal about the whole trapping thing in New Mexico. I still don't know if I like them that much, but I'm not going to be so stuck in an echo chamber that when I see someone doing something good, I'm not going to applaud it. So for for a while, I've been not a big fan of the BHA, but I guess hats off to them for, for this specific issue. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of fell in the same boat. I found I fell into the same pint night trap when they, they started doing those things in like Kansas and Missouri. I was like, oh, this is, I like these guys. They're cool. And then all that stuff started happening. I was like, oh, I don't. I don't know how I feel about this, but yeah, hats off to them if they're if they really are sticking up for this kind of stuff. Now, uh, this is one thing that like I don't know if it was this bill or if it was or if I like read something wrong. I'm I, I feel like surely I had to have read something wrong here, but I saw that this bill was like introduced and then was it was this voted on by the public? Because I could have sworn I saw something that said it was like outvoted like a hundred and ten to one or something like that, hundred and eleven to one. Uh, for people that said, no, we don't want it. And then it went through anyway. Was that this bill or was that something completely different? So I've seen a couple things on that and I'm not exactly sure. There was something with the, there's some commission of senators that's tied with fish and game or something like that. Like the senators of fish and game or some, I'm getting that wrong and I'll get chewed up for that. But it was a small group of people that voted to keep it going. It was like a seven to four vote in favor of it. Mm. After the fact of the one that you're talking about, mm. I believe, I'm not sure on that. Like I said, there's this whole thing is kind of some muddy water to, be, to begin with. And I wish this was a lot more open and available for people right away when this actually takes place. But yeah, it, it, yeah. Do you guys watch Yellowstone? Uh, I've watched a couple episodes of it. I, I, I need to uh, I, I don't now it's only it's only on like Paramount. I don't know. I don't have I don't have cable. So uh, yeah. I need to I need to just pony up and buy it. I've heard it's incredible. I've heard it's really, really good. So I won't spoil it too much then. But a lot of what that show I'm, I'm not a TV guy. I haven't had cable in eight years or anything like that either. But I actually paid for this show just because I found it so interesting, probably because it's about Montana. But a lot of the stuff that like you watch in that show, how all these big ranchers are tied in with the government and stuff like that. It kind of makes me feel like it is very similar to this, where these guys just pull so much weight in the government. It feels like that um, John way of Ennis, Montana, he said something to the effect of a lottery system doesn't promote good and bad. What does he call them? Good and bad operators. That's how he refers to hunters as operators. It only promotes lucky individuals or mm. something like that. And to me, it just right. seems like that's not a way to look at hunting. That's not a way to look at this heritage that, that Montana has, this great resource that it's become a pilgrimage for people every year to go visit Montana and experience the backcountry. And I mean, yes, it's Montana's land and it's for Montanans, but it's still the freaking United States. It's still our land, too. It seems very one side right. this this bill only is going to benefit this very small portion of people. I don't know it. The whole thing just just feels dirty to me. And like I said before, I always like I have the utmost respect for awesome outfitters. I'm jealous of them for what they get to do. But this just feels wrong. And I've talked to some outfitters that feel the same way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, so I'm, I'm reading here. I don't know what the initiative was. It says that the Senate Bill 143 would overturn a 2010 initiative that was passed by Montana voters. And that's man, yeah. that's where like uh, I, I don't uh, I, I haven't talked about it like a ton on the podcast and I don't like broadcast it everywhere. But I've, I, I have my bachelor's degree is in political science uh, and my uh, um uh, not my undergrad, my minor was in legal studies, pre-law is what I was. And uh, and when stuff like this, when like uh, a population like overwhelmingly votes for something and then a bill can just be ramrodded through that completely contradicts what the what the populace voted on. Oh, I get uh, red, red in the gills, per se, because uh, mm-hmm. that is that that that's everything that if, what America does not stand for. Uh, it's uh, it's a very, very dangerous precedent to set. And the other thing I'm sitting here looking at, it, I actually pulled up uh, and I'll I'll even I'll drop the link like in the in the description for anyone who's listening. You can go and look at it. But if you go, if you just like like Google like uh, SB 143 Montana, one of the first links that popped up is the actual bill that's hosted by the Montana legislature uh, government site. And like 50 percent of this thing is like crossed out. Uh, so, yeah, they've had tons of changes to this already. And so no, no wonder no one can actually keep it straight because they've changed their mind on everything multiple times. It looks like, and, uh, man, what a, what a shit show. This thing is, uh, a total mess. And I'm not even sure if I would assume that this is going towards next season's draw cycle or whatever, because I mean, in what, what's today, the 23rd. I'm, yeah, the very the very end of this says the the effective date would be December first, twenty twenty one. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be applicable to this year, but next year. Yeah, but still, it makes you kind of like I, I've been waiting to purchase a bear tag. I go bear hunting every spring somewhere, and I don't. To it's last two years, it's been Montana just because I love it so much, and it I can use it to also scout for areas that look good for elk hunting in the fall. But to be frank, if they're going to do this period, yeah. I'm, I don't even want to support Montana anymore. I want to go to a place that maybe values my $1,300 more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah, I mean, think of, I mean, you could go hunt out of state and like basically two states for that price. Uh, I mean, that's. I mean, hunt elk. I mean, like, even if you just wanted to like, like bring it down to muleys, you'd probably be pushing three states at that point. That's that's wild. That's wild stuff. Um, I'm trying to think if there, I feel like there was something else that I wanted to touch on, uh, but I can't remember exactly what it was. There's um, one little nuance with this thing that um, it's a separate bill, um, but it, it's worth bringing up as well. Um I believe it's House Bill 417. I might be wrong on that, but I there, okay. there's another House Bill that basically of all these units that Montana has to offer, there's a few of them, especially in central and parts of western Montana, that take more points to draw. They're not just a general tag. Um, places like the Missouri mm-hmm. Lakes, a part of the Crazy Mountains, um, Muscle Shoal River area, stuff like that. Um, some of these places are over objective for elk 
and they want to include those onto the general tag, which at first on the surface, it sounds good because I mean, they're over objective on elk, the ranchers, like the, the wild ranch or whatever it's called in the snowies had like 10,000 head of elk on it in the winter. They're complaining about them ripping up their hay fields. But at the same point, they're over objective on elk because it takes a while to draw that tag. There's a lot of road systems that go through those units. Generally speaking, it's not as crazy of terrain. Mm -hmm. And historically, there's no grizzly bears in there. So there's bigger bulls mm. in there. They make it a draw tag. It's It's been good and it's worked out well. But there's this program in Montana um, where it's called the BMA. And that's part of that initiative 161 that you were talking about in 2010. It funded this block management access program so that private landowners could open up their land to um, the public. They sign in at a box at the gate and people can go in and hunt. And Montana funds that. Hmm. And I, I killed a mule deer on a BMA property this hmm. year. Fantastic program. But you have these landowners in places that are over objective for elk that have um, all these, these wintering herds of elk coming down onto the ranch. They're complaining that there's too many elk on their ranch and they're ripping up their fields, yet they won't open up to BMA. They don't want hunters on their property. They just want less elk in the area around right. them, per se. So it, it seems like that that's another one that it's just it seems like a bad idea. If you open up the Missouri breaks to the general tag, number one, everyone and their brother, and selfishly probably me too, is going to march their asses in there the first time they can on a general tag because it's an easy area to get into. There's big bulls. There's a lot of bulls. There's no grizzly bears and fairly easy terrain. What do you think that's going to do that elk population in a year? Maybe two. Oh, it's going to plummet. Yeah. Right. Then all of a sudden that's a, a draw tag that's going to, I mean, it's so far under objective that it's going to either be worthless hunting or it's going to be a 10 year draw to get it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's an issue. I mean, I, I, I know, uh, <laughs> I'll be the first person. So I, I follow a lot of, uh, like DNR pages, uh, on, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And anytime they post anything about like any changes that are being made to seasons or stuff like that, uh, um, quotas, uh, you know, uh, any, anything of the sort, people get on there and just absolutely roast them. And, and I mean, every once in a while, I think like it's warranted like sometimes, but man, I, I, I haven't, I, I've met with a couple of the, uh, Missouri department of conservation, like deer and turkey biologists, uh, who are essentially the people who like go out and do the surveys, figure out like, you know, do we need to change season? You know, what should be the limit for, you know, should we have antlerless or, you know, uh, permits in the, in this part, in this County, whatever. And, uh, I haven't met anyone that I think has malice or like bad intentions, but if you get, if you get on social media, you would think that all these DNR agencies are, are like the spawn of Satan himself uh, uh, according to everybody else, I just I find it a little humorous how uh, uh, every Tom, Dick and Harry apparently should have been a biologist, but the actual biologists don't uh, don't know how to do their job. I mean, like the problem <laughs> problem with that, as far as, you know, as far as Oregon is concerned, is like the biologists are great mm -hmm. and they know the numbers and stuff, but 
the people that are on the commissions are appointed by the governor. Mm. Like they're not voted in. They don't have like they're not biologists. They don't know anything, but they're the ones that are making our hunting laws, which makes Mm. absolutely no sense to me because they don't have a dog in the fight. So, of course, anytime anybody any of those, you know, special interest anti-hunting groups come, come with say, an idea. That, they're like, oh, that's their, let's that's do their that. dog in the fight. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, that's what Oregon's up against right now is like, we have a terrible predator problem. Like, we have right. wolves, like wolves just got delisted, I think. Um, but we don't have a hunting season for them, but they're already out of control. Um, hmm. They stopped our ability... Like I think back in like the nineties or something, they took away baiting and uh, using dogs for predator hunting for bears and cats. So there's more cats and bears in Oregon than anybody could knock down. Even if they came in, you know, with the most skilled people in the country, they still wouldn't put a dent in the population. But, you know, people are, you know, people complain about, you know, elk and deer numbers, but we don't have and like adequate means to control our predator population because they won't let us. We're seeing some similar things, even in this bill in Montana and back in my home state of Michigan, but Montana first, I called fish and wildlife the other day and asked if they had any idea of when this would be decided on or rectified. And the poor girl that I talked to there was just like, you could tell she's been getting a million of these phone calls. She's like, we have had right. little to no say in any of this. And it is an absolute dumpster fire. And my experience with Montana, their their biologists, yeah. fish and wildlife people have been just like, you can go on the website and find biologists for specific areas, specific species sometimes even. I don't know if it's like that in Oregon, but like before I went bear hunting three years ago for the first time, I called... Jeremy Smith, I believe it was for the region, region three bear biologist. The dude was just so helpful, so willing to give me some insight, very well educated this year. When I shot an elk, um, in region five, um, my carcass got claimed by a bear and there was a Mm -hmm. lot of sign around that made it seem like it was a grizzly. And I saw a bear the day before that had a pretty predominant hump back and was brown in color. And so I called the biologist mm-hmm. and I said, is there any chance there's a grizzly in this area? And they found out later there was one in there in May. But they're just, they're, the, the guys mm-hmm. wearing green are out there to help hunters. I'm, I'm convinced that any state you look at, they took that job because they, they want to protect this resource and they're there to help hunters. In Michigan's case, like you said, yeah. the people that took that job aren't the ones making the decisions for these things. Um, a lot of our decisions that make get made in Lansing for our hunting season take place with lobbyists from insurance companies, not hunters, not people that are biologists, not mm-hmm. anyone that's ever stepped foot in the woods. And it's disgusting. Yeah. It's a man. I feel like that's a solvable problem too. That's the frustrating thing. I think, yeah. I mean, if you're, it goes for anything like i don't think that you should be able to make government policy if you have like if you're completely ignorant of what you're trying to make policy about like that goes for hunting guns whatever the hell other thing you want to list off like if you don't know anything about it you shouldn't be talking about it let the people that actually do know make those rules yeah makes too much sense to me 
Um, okay. Well, man, uh, th- this is, I, I think this kind of I mean, this this sheds a larger light on, you know, kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, Joe. There's it sounds like there's some there, there's a lot of bills that are going on at the same time. And, and I, I have zero doubt that that is probably somewhat intentional. Like if you if you follow the money to an extent, I can guarantee that uh, there is there is some uh, uh, anti hunting uh, behind some of this somewhere. I'm not saying like specifically for SB 143, but for, for all these bills that are going through at the same time that are, that will be end up being detrimental to, uh, uh, to the hunting, uh, in, in those States, uh, these, these anti hunters are smarter than we give them credit for. And I can, I can almost guarantee that they're peppering all of this in at the same time so that a couple of them will slip through. They knew that if they, if they did them one at a time, individually, uniquely, uh, that, you know, they'd probably, there would be enough of a voice to get them, get them shut down, uh, uh, in, in, in a onesie and twosie fashion. But when you pile on four or five, six different, uh, uh, different bills in different States all at the same time, it's difficult to, for, you know, somebody even as big as BHA to focus all their attention, uh, on, you know, on, on all of them, they, they have to, they have to pick, pick them once they deem most important and, and, uh, uh, then others get to slip through the cracks. So yeah. it's, a, it's a sad thing. You're hundred percent right on that. And I think it even goes one step further to the point where bills like this are potentially turning hunters against each other a little bit on this. And that's why I preface it with, I'm pro pro guide. I, I love those guys and I want them to be successful yeah. and everything in between, but it, it's, it definitely does have a feel to it that this could be a tactic to, turn folks against each other and kind of divide and conquer a little bit. Um, and I mean, if it yeah. gets to the point where only the rich guys are the ones that can hunt and they're ultimately the ones that are afraid of cancel culture and have to step down their pos- from their position in whatever CEO job they have because they hunt, they'll, they'll throw that mm-hmm. away and save their billions. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a scary deal. It's a weird world that we're living in right now. And I, I'll be frank with you. I, I've contacted a ton of organizations that, and, and companies for that matter, that haven't taken a position on this. And it's because it's a little bit controversial. I'll, I'll call one out, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Mm. I really am shocked that they haven't said something about this. It, it's one of those issues mm. that seems, to me anyway, that's pretty black and white on what's right and what's wrong. 40% of these tags are getting used with outfitters anyway. Why are we forcing people to use one if they're already using them? Let them make the decision. It, it seems pretty black and white to me. So when I asked them, why yeah. have you taken a position on it? They were still in exploratory phases of the bill, which I get it's moving around a lot, but come on, like let's, let's band together on something with this here. Uh, if 17,000 tags are coming in at this, this high price, it's a, it's a big effort for conservation that, is needed in a state like Montana. Um, I've reached out even to a, f- a few companies that I'm not going to name and bash people, but they they remain silent on it because it's it's controversial and they don't want to piss off guide buddies and lose that sector of business. So yeah. for for people like you to take this on, I I can't express my gratitude enough. There's been a, f- a few podcasts that I've been on about this topic and. 
it it really makes me happy that, to know that there's some folks out there that are willing to talk about this kind of thing, whether they take a position or not, just to shed some light to it. So, yeah, yeah, no, a- absolutely. I I, w- I would encourage people. I mean, g- a good friend of Garrett and and a guy that I'm going to be hunting with in in Oregon this year guides when he's not hunting, and uh, uh, uh I mean, you know, so I I'm friends with him. Garrett's friends with him. I'm sure. Garrett has lots of guide friends out there in Oregon, but I feel like I, I don't feel that guides or, you know, uh, uh, guys that are in that side of the industry are going to be like super pissed off if if you're a person that's like, hold on, like, is this is this the good, a good decision? Should we actually move forward with this? Uh, and, and if they are, then they'll get over it eventually. I, I, I don't. uh you know, like, like you were saying, Joe, you know, I, I think all three of us here are very pro guide. Uh, if you want to use a guide, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm very pro outfitter. I think that they they do the Lord's work with bringing uh, every dentist and doctor out to out to hunt that doesn't have time to do the DIY stuff. I get it. Like uh, I'm I believe me, there are times where I'm like, I wish I really wish I could just pay some money and 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 I've done this. But poor planning on my end where I I, I didn't do that. Uh, but yeah, uh, we, we got to get together on this for sure. I mean, um, if you go ahead, if you think about it from a guide standpoint too, like I've got a bunch of buddies that are guides. They all hunt out of state pretty much. And, you know, my hunting partner, Dave, that Matt was talking about and I are, you know, we're going to go to Wyoming at some point, but you know, we were thinking Montana too, but you know, he's a guide. Why would he pay an outfitter to do something that he's been doing for 20 years? Like it doesn't make doesn't make any sense. Like you know, guides aren't yeah. like if you're a guide, you're just not gonna go to Montana to hunt. Like that's if you're a guide in another state. I mean, like you're why right, would you pay right. somebody <clears throat> that exorbitant fee to go hunt in a state when you could go to a different state and you don't have to? And even the guys that have that that don't have the experience of being a guide in a different state, sometimes the the allure to going out west and and taking this on is to do it by yourself and to learn. Like the first, the first year that I went to Colorado, I didn't have a guide. And I mean, if I could afford one at the time, I probably would have gotten one, but the amount that I learned just by screwing up and missing some opportunities and bumping some elk and all that. I mean, that when, once you bump elk in the Colorado and they go clear over the top of one ridge and back down the valley and back over top another ridge, and you have to spend another however many miles finding new elk, you learn pretty quick not to bump elk. Like it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. there's, there's <laughs> you got to learn yourself and there's lessons that, I mean, it, it, it's just like anything else, you know? I mean, if I, I'm not going to lie, if I drew a, a Black Hills tag in, in Utah, once in a lifetime uh, bull tag there and sh- have the potential to shoot a 380, 390 bull, I might get an outfitter for that because I'm never going to get this tag again. I want to shoot a 380, 390 bull, but Right. Yeah. It's always left up to you, in my opinion, with the exception of stuff like sheep in Alaska, where someone's got to count growth rings on on the horns or be able to age an animal, something like that. Yeah, I get that. Get someone that's that really knows the species Mm. involved with like that. But for elk in Montana, give me a freaking break. Um, well, man. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's on the website. Like I said before, if you, if you just like Google like SB 143 Montana, it'll be like the first thing that pops up. There's like a hundred links for it. 
Uh, Joe, do you know off the top of your head where if somebody's wanting to contact somebody there, uh, who they should be calling if there's a particular uh, state senator? Because it sounds like this is in their uh, in the Senate uh, side. So it, I don't I don't think it's in the ho- on the House side yet. I think it's still in the Senate for the for the state Senate anyway. Uh, um, where where should people be going to either learn learn more about this or to contact somebody to express their opinion on it? Like you said, there's a, a bunch of you type in SB 143 Montana on Google. It'll give you a ton of different articles about it. And um, there's a, a couple just Montana news sources that have been actually a little bit quicker to update than a lot of other ones. Um, Steve, Steve Heinbeck, I believe is his name. Um, he's kind of the chair leader as far as the Senate is concerned. Um his information and there's there, there's a go hunt article that basically spells out every phone number and every email address that you need to write to and call to and do it frequently. Um, I believe it's 13 of them that you can contact. You're correct. It's at the Senate level right now, to my knowledge anyway. Um, but one thing that people need to keep in mind, and it's easy to, to share posts and to do podcasts and to post videos, and we should do all those things too to raise awareness to this. But as non-residents, we hold a significant power in this fight saying that, I mean, the the money generated from non-residents is significant. We pay 20 times what the residents do. Mm -hmm. Um, So our our voices will be heard. And unfortunately we have to say it like this is because we have dollars behind us. call these people, email these people, let them know that this isn't going to be good for Montana. This isn't good for the future of hunting. It's something that needs to be taken extremely seriously and actually, actually call and email them. Don't just post that you did and share the link like you did. Actually call and email these people. I feel like there's a lot of people that talk about it, but that stops there and it can't on this one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've already found that, uh, I found the Gohan article. I will, it will be included in the show notes. Uh, so you can literally go in the show notes, click on the link and yeah, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven 11, 11 emails and corresponding phone numbers for all those, uh, state senators, uh, that you can, you can contact about this right there. Plain, plain, Another simple, thing black that I would white. say is, Kind of what I did and the reason why we're having this podcast right now. And thank you guys so much for that. Call on the people that you know who benefit from hunting and say, this is something that's a challenge to us. You need to speak up about this. Call call the organizations that you've supported in the right. past and say, okay, I've given you yeah. 35 bucks and been to your banquets for the last five, six years. I want you to fight for me and fight for us on this. Demand it out of them. And if they... If it's something that you stand for and that you believe yeah. in and they're not going to support it, yeah. you got to really step back and say, why am I supporting this organization and why am I not supporting this one? So I'm I'm sitting down and doing some serious soul searching as far as organizations and companies go and say, who's actually who's actually fighting for hunters and who's just reaping the rewards of this? Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, man, well, that's uh, I. I would encourage all of our listeners to, I mean, literally, uh, if you, you could draft up a single email, send and send, uh, send it to all of these in, I don't know, five minutes. Like it's, this isn't, 
it's not rocket, you know, not rocket <laughs> surgery as the, as the smart kids say, uh, um, not terribly difficult phone calls take a little bit longer. Sure. I get that, but man, literally just like write down a script. And I mean, it'll, it'll take you like this whole thing may take you, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour, somewhere in between there. And I mean, you know, you knock out all the emails, then you make like two or three phone calls a night and with, by the end of the week, you're done. So yeah, really, really no reason why, why we shouldn't be having people absolutely bombarding the phones here to, to really make an impact. Um, man, Joe, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. This is, this has been helpful. It's definitely been eye opening as somebody who, who hasn't gotten a chance to hunt out West very much. I, I feel like I, I definitely take for granted stuff like this when, and not getting involved when, uh, uh, you know, if I ever want to have the opportunity to, it's literally things like this that are going to impact that. Uh, so, uh, I, I appreciate you pointing this out and, uh, calling out, you know, people who are, you know, influencers or have, have some type of audience or microphone, uh, to, to take a minute and to talk about it. And, and like you said, and, and encouraging those people and the people that are listening to push, push the companies and, uh, uh, other agencies to, you know, try and try and rectify this and try and fix this. Cause I think this is an issue. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we get out of here? I guess just in closing, this is directly related with this. And as it is everything else, every time I get on a platform, I just want to encourage people to, uh, aside from all this stuff, take five people around you that are on the fence about hunting or that have shown an interest in it and just take it upon yourself to take those people out specifically and like set, set your own goals and selfishness and hunting aside, which I struggle with that just like everybody else. And even if it's one person, find one person every year who expressed an interest in it or who you think would be a good hunter or whatever and invest in them, help them through their journey with hunting and pass it on a little bit. It's something that we've done by and large, I think a really shitty job of whether it's kind of this macho atmosphere or and I'm just as much to blame. Like when I was super big into waterfall hunting, it was very competitive. It was no new friends kind of thing. It was closed lip and whatever else. And just kind of this big swing of dick contest. We can't do that or we're going to die. We need to get more people involved and we need to be right. better stewards of this and paint a, a brighter picture for the future. Um, so I guess, yeah, in closing for me, stuff like this is super important. But even if you if you don't know a way that you feel like you can get involved with this directly, go to your neighbor and take him kick and brush and rabbit hunting or something like that, or go shoot a doe or something with him, or just, just get him out and have him understand him or her, whatever, get, get people out there and, and show them how awesome this is and how, how great this can be in your life and do everything you can to support them going forward. Yeah. Cosign, cosign, hundred percent. Wise words, man. Appreciate I it. Have one. Garrett, any, any anything from I you? Have one more question. Oh, then you are allowed to ask one more question. Joe, how many animals did you kill this year or last year? I guess. <laughs> it was a you lot. Were on a, it's, you're it's on multiple a pictures on Facebook. <laughs> so it had multiple collages were posted, so it was a it was a decent amount. <laughs> yeah, it was a good year. Um, I wish they were all like this one, but um, I don't know. I've got three freezers that are 
full full right now. Um, I shot a shot an elk in Montana, a mule deer in Montana. Um, shot that eleven point in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. My son shot his first deer up there. Went to Kentucky, shot that twelve with the Huntwise crew. Um, killed a few does in between there. Went down to Ohio and shot that really goofy eighteen pointer. Um, yeah, that was a tank. My son shot his first buck. That was probably the highlight of my season as he shot a, a dandy Michigan six point. And that was, uh, nice. I mean, he's, he's five years old and he killed his turkey and four deer and a couple of geese. And he's just absolutely eating up with it. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a really good year for me, but watching him have some significant success is by far the highlight for me. You're yeah. definitely creating a monster. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he <Yes>. was <laughs> like kids. Kids literally really gonna like all the old timers are like I killed more deer than EHD or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, this kid will really be able to say that. And, yeah, I've knocked down five deer a year since the time I was five years old. Like, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, I see you. I see you. He's- He's pretty wild with it and circling back to our, our conversation at the beginning. He's, I mean, he's pretty eaten up with the whole, I don't know if this is good to introduce your kid to this kind of stuff, but he is all about that death metal too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into that. I'm kind of showing him him some, uh, some Alex terrible, some slaughter to prevail. Actually. Yeah. (laughs) That, I mean, half of the song is in Russian, so you can't even tell what he's saying. But that one Demolisher song that came out, right, he loves that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, cool, man. Well, Joe, once again, thanks again for for coming on here. Uh, I appreciate you being a being a voice for this. And uh, uh, I, we, you are you are more than welcome anytime. If you if you if there's something else that pops up, you know, uh, we we want to use our our platform for good. And, uh, if you think there's something else that is, that is worthy of, of talking about, we, we definitely want to take us, take a minute to, to chat about it before, before we go and keep talking about arrows and all the other crazy stuff we talk about. So thanks again, man. And, uh, uh, for everyone still listening, appreciate you hanging out, go check out all that stuff in the show notes. And thanks for being with us. Our 15 minute episode. That's a short one for us. Pretty good. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know how much Joe listens, but this is, this is like a recordably short episode for us and <laughs> pretty, pretty brief one here. Uh, but thanks everyone for listening until next time. Disrupt the status quo.